Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. I've been sexually sober uh, 36 years and 10 months, one day at a time. Um, Let's open with some breathing, inhales and exhales, and then the serenity prayer. Okay? Serenity prayer. God. God. Grant us serenity to accept the things we cannot change. Courage to change the things we can. And wisdom to the difference. Thank you. That was me. done today. Amen. And Happy New Year. We're going to do this workshop, hopefully, in not the dogmatic, programmed way, where we say, step one, (laughs) we admitted (laughs) we were powerless, etc. That comes easy to just do pre-programmed messages. Hopefully, by the end of the 12 weeks, you will be able to see much more of all these pre-programmed messages in our head that we don't even realize are pre-programmed. And so the first thing we're going to do has nothing to do with steps. It has to do with Why do the steps? Why do the steps? What are we expecting from the steps? What are we we going to get from them? Now, if you think it's freedom from lust, well, there are, what, 110 or 400 different recovery programs? So the steps can't be just about lust. What is the goal of the steps? To stop lusting? Man, that might be a goal, but that's not going to keep you sober indefinitely. The goal, and by the way, this is Only my opinion, I do not talk for essay as a whole. The goal 
is a darn spiritual awakening. <laughs> a spiritual awakening. See, the old me is going to use again whatever that drug is, whether it's lust or alcohol or drugs or eating disorders or gambling. <laughs> the old me will use again. So without a spiritual awakening, and I'm not talking anything that has to do with religion now. <laughs> We're talking about what? Not being the old me. But I cannot change me. This, that's my ego doing the work. And so I'm back in ego. So it's becoming someone different, which I can't make happen. But the old me will do it again. So where does this take us to? What circle is it taking us to? It's taking us to getting and finding that we've been in a deep slumber since we were children. And we get through recovery awakened more and more where we see things we could never see before. And hopefully what we end up seeing is not the old me, but the true me, the true self. Wow. What a journey we go on. What a journey this is. Now, how do we do this journey? I'm going to say some very unpopular things at times, but it's my opinion. Let me tell you how you do this journey. I'm going to read it right out of the essay book that Roy says on uh, page 161 in Overcoming My Obsession, Overcoming Lust and Temptation. The 12 and 12 and Alcoholic Anonymous were my first guides in working the steps. Again and again, I found what I needed in those original documents. AA book and the 12 and 12 he's talking about in those original documents that launched the 12-step program. Many of us now find that working the principles outlined in our essay literature adds another dimension. It's not saying it's the basic text. It's saying it adds another dimension. Working the principles outlined in essay literature adds another dimension of uh, and is very helpful. Using it in the solitude and privacy of our 
own quiet times, we gain insights about ourselves and our recovery in a way uniquely suited to who and where we are. In other words, what is he telling us? The man who wrote the essay book, what's that man telling us? That the AA book, the first 164 pages, and the 12 and 12 is our basic text. I wish many people luck just doing it on the SA book, but man, are you doing it on a, a splinter? The basic book is the AA book. That's how Roy got sober. Our founder got sober, not as an alcoholic, as a sexaholic, using the AA book. And like I have to remind people, I I came into the program, the essay book hadn't been written yet. So how the hell did I get sober if the book hadn't been written yet? Now, your sponsors, who are very important people, at least in my life they have been, and presently are. Your sponsors might tell you, oh, it's all in the essay book, all in uh, the steps into action book. It's all there. Bull. These are on top of the basic text. It is not the basic text. So how the heck can I help you with the steps or share my experience, strength, and hope with the steps if you're in one universe and I'm in another universe? We're going to cross talk, not hear each other. So Roy is telling us where it is. Now, why is it so important? Because sponsors come and go. I've had sponsors lie to me. We're liars, sex addicts, telling me they're sober. They weren't sober. I had sponsors die. Many of them died. I pick old men like me who are retired and have time. So they die. Sponsors come and go. But there is one sponsor who never goes. And you're going to say, oh, he's going to bring up God. No, I'm not. I'm bringing up the big book. That's a true sponsor. Now, my big book looks a little different, Miss. I broke it in two parts and have it <laughs> coiled. So it's easier for me to turn the pages. So before we start with the steps, we need to say the 
answer is not from your sponsor. The answer is in the big book. And hopefully your sponsor is going to tell you an answer that's based on the big book. Now, this is a problem sometimes because in different countries, even the AA book and the SA book are not actually translating exactly what the book says. But many of you who are here today know enough English that you could read it and then read your translations and compare them. The other problem is that I, and I find many people in the program, if you're like me, are lazy. And we don't have a dictionary. When I read the big book, I need a dictionary too. It was written in the language of 1930s. Almost 90 years ago. We use different words now. We don't even, they have a word, a whoopee party. No one uses that word today, a whoopee party. No one even knows hardly what it is. I'm 81. I know what that means. <laughs> so this is where the answer is. Now, I was blessed with sponsors in my first 10, 15 years who, when I had a problem and I called him for an answer, he would say, the answer's in the big book. Go find it and let me know what you find. We have a system of thinking we need to be spoon-fed. Now, where does a lot of this come from? This program attracts many fundamentalist religious people. And in many religions, you're taught to take whatever someone says like it's gospel. And for those who follow gospels, it's good when you read it yourself. There's people, or Torah, the Koran, there's people tend to interpret or take things out of context, and then they teach it to you, out of context. Same thing in our program. You don't want to only have your sponsor tell you these things. You need to look them up yourself. You know, there's a little book called As Bill Sees It, And if you want to look at fear, in the front of the book, it says, it goes by topics, fear, anger, resentment. You just look it up and it gives you five, six, ten references. Don't get dependent on anyone in this program. We are not dependable. We are liars, thieves, and cheats. 
I'm the biggest example. <laughs> I tease all the time. Don't believe anything I say. I will tell you it's on page 150. And it might be of the AA book, and it might be in the 12 and 12. I believe my own crap. And I always say, if I quote, look it up yourself. Now, what happens? The more I accept I'm a liar, <laughs> cheat, and thief, the less I'm acting that way. The mystery of the program. Okay, so here we are. We have our AA book. You have the 12 and 12, and that's the basic text. Now, there are some wonderful help in the Step into Action books. I use some of those little, some of those suggestions myself. Second step about the exercise to find the God of your understanding, those two chart type things, good stuff. But that's on top of what you've already are going to be studying from here. Now, what happens with us, how's the time go? What happens is before we do the steps, and to, especially step one, which we'll be discussing next week, how, we, how do we do step one? Well, step one says we are powerless. It means we have no power. Willpower won't work. How can willpower not work? We have willpower. You had willpower to turn the computer on and look me up on Zoom. So how can we say we have no power? Okay. So then we have to say, what makes us have no power? What is it we have no power over? What are some of the things? I am powerless over COVID. I am powerless over my high blood pressure. People who have diabetes, powerless over saying, God, take the diabetes away. God, take the cholesterol plaques out of my veins. No, we don't do that. <clears throat> we surrender. We go to doctors. We get medicine. Okay? Because our will will not affect a disease unless the will is being used to take medicine for the disease. Okay? So... Where do we begin with the first step? It's having to learn what it means that we don't have power. We have no willpower. Now, where do you find that? In the big book and the essay book. 
we find it in the doctor's opinion, in the big book. Why the heck would they put the doctor's opinion in? Why would Bill let them put the doctor's opinion in before his story? <laughs> this Bill, in his especially what, 1950 talk, talked about his ego. There was no way they could put the doctor's opinion before. Why would they do it? Well, because the first step doesn't make sense without the doctor's opinion. And Bill's story doesn't make sense without the doctor's opinion. So what was the compromise? The compromise was <laughs> Bill's story says chapter one, but the pages before Bill's story uses Roman numeral. And so they don't call the doctor's opinion chapter one. They call it the doctor's opinion. Then chapter one comes pages after the doctor's opinion. And if you look on the bottom, it doesn't have a regular num Arabic number. It has a Roman numeral. Bill's story starts with page one. But that's not page one. <laughs> Page one is really the doctor's opinion. How many people have truly believed what the doctor's opinion says? Now, Roy does at the beginning in the essay book, if you look at the table of contents under the problem, the first part of the problem, he says, sexaholism, hyphen, the addiction. And he spends pages on the classic drug addiction. Classic. And by the way, I'm not going to read it and quote it. This is your job to do. <coughs> Your job is to see if I'm just bullcrapping or not. Your job is to see how Roy tells us it's a disease, even in the essay book, of withdrawal, tolerance, craving, like any drug addiction. Heroin, he uses all the terms for it. And drug addictions are a brain phenomenon. And certain physiology happens in your brain. Now, the doctor's opinion tells us about our disease. Says we have a physical allergy. Most people don't have our allergy. Most people can lust. People have been lusting for thousands of years. You've heard me say this time and again on my talks. Lust is not a new phenomenon. Alcohol isn't a new phenomenon. Most people could drink alcohol. 
Many religions use alcohol in their services. But about 10% of people are allergic to alcohol. Runs in families, has genetic linkage. It's a disease. (coughs) And in the 1950s, the American Medical Association called it a disease, and insurance will help pay for things quite often. So it's a disease. We're not even saying a dis-ease, how people want to play with that word. It's a physiological disease. It's a spiritual solution, but it's not a spiritual disease. It's a physiological disease. And most of you down deep know it that it runs in your family, it's genetic disposition for it. Just like alcoholism. But most people don't want to accept it. Of all the problems I've seen in recovery, it's the denial that this is a disease. People keep going back to the same model. I'm bad getting good, not sick getting well, over and over again. They live in the shame model that only tends to make it worse. And then to conclude this part, then we're going to go to questions and answers. If it is a disease, what are its symptoms? He tells us, you know, we know when you have a virus and you have a cold, one of the symptoms, you cough, you have a running nose. What does it say in the doctor's opinion that are our symptoms? We're restless, irritable, and discontented. I had a very unusual conversation today with my wife. It's only taken me 37 years in AA, 36, almost 37 in SA. We've been married almost 60 years, been with her about 62 years. I said to her, honey, do you have a lot of voices in your head talking to you all the time? She looks at me with this look. What are you talking about, Harvey? I said, well, don't you argue in your head with people? She looked at me. She did not know what I was talking about. I said, well, when you get upset, don't you hear a voice telling you how you screwed up or this and that? Man, she said, oh, do you? I said, it's almost never gone. (laughs) I've had it since I've been a kid. My brain is restless, irritable, and discontented. Luckily, through the steps, things have changed. But this is my reality. 
alcoholism runs for generations in my family. Three out of my four sons have it in recovery. My father had it. My grandfather had it. (laughs) Who knows how far back it goes. On my mother's side, a lot of sexual addiction. Hasn't shown up a lot on with my kids or grandkids yet. But I'm a believer that this is a disease. Therefore, if you notice in step one, it does not talk about God. It talks about the disease model. We are powerless and our lives become unmanageable. I suggest if you all would, before next week, kind of parounds, look over the doctor's opinion, look over an essay book, the, the few pages on the addiction model, so that we could start dealing with this in next week's talk. Um, today was a bigger picture of why we're even doing this. Um, if we're just doing it to stop lust, <laughs> well, my sponsor taught me a long time ago, the program's not about lust or alcohol. It's about comfort. If I don't stay comfortable, I'm going to default because that's how my brain is wired. So I need through the steps to experience a process that says to me in the sixth and seventh step, no matter how much you have discovered about yourself, in the fourth step, no matter how much you shared with your sponsor in the fifth step. No way. You can't make those things go away. And the sixth and seventh step asks its power greater than ourselves to remove it because we can't remove it ourselves. The process does. And then one day we have an awareness of the awareness that we've been getting from the moment we've come into the program. Admitting we are powerless is the beginning of an awakening. Saying, no, I can't do this alone by myself. Okay. Let's leave it up to questions, everyone. Thank you so much, Harvey. So uh, first of all, incredible turnout, over 250 people. I don't know if you can see, Harvey, you can press the second tab and see a whole new screen of pictures. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And please do make a note in your calendars that we're going to be at this time for the next 12 weeks uh, going through the steps. If you have a question on this bigger picture, powerlessness, and the spiritual experience and why we're taking the steps is try and keep the questions related to the, to the topic. If 
Mojave, please raise your hand in the app. A reminder that we are being recorded. So if you don't want your voice to be recorded or you want your question to be asked anonymously, you can send it to me in private um, in the messaging. And if you're calling in by phone, we have a lot of a lot of people that call in by phone. You can press star nine to raise your hand in the phone, and then I'll call you by the last few digits of your number. So please uh, go ahead and raise your hand uh, in the app if you have a question for Harvey. By the way, is that Carl from Ireland? I see. Hey, good to see you. Okay, go ahead, Sam from Italy, please. Hey, thank you, Daniel, for organizing this. Thank you so much, Harvey, for this uh, for this talk. Uh, I never really. <laughs> I sometimes have asked my wife, even when we were a couple of years ago when we were not married, like if she had all these. Uh, all these kind of, I didn't say voices, but I said like, do you also think a lot about uh, this kind of uh, things? Does this thing stick with you? And uh, she said, yeah, sometimes because she she is also kind of neurotic, but uh, this kind of, uh, I, I, so, so far I would have called it neurosis. It was never uh, <laughs> that really, realizing that this is i really have these voices i have a brain that it's imagining things but it's also living inside them because i really feel all the things that i am creating in my brain when i'm resentful but at the same time even when i'm happy and it's mostly fear coming and going and um as also someone else asked in the chat any anything that uh, because the the only thing i can do is on a daily basis remind talking to the higher power and reminding myself because the higher power knows of course but <laughs> reminding myself that i am diseased i have a compromised brain i have a but still it's a forgetting disease so uh, what would you say it's a good <laughs> practice to remember other than of course i do meetings i try to do daily basis and keep connected i'm always worried that it's not enough so thank you so much thank you thank you both before we started, I was sharing something I read today. And again, I read it yesterday for the first time. And it said um, that basically, I believe thoughts are real. So that they're real. So I am the thought. The thought and I are one. And it said, well, if that's true, and you have a frustrating thought, and that thought disappears, but you don't disappear, just the thought disappears. So how can you be your thoughts? And yet, I lived in that. Okay? That was an aspect of my disease. Now, as we go through the steps, we're going to hopefully be able to put some separation between the thought and the action. Before, the moment I had the thought, because it was so real to me, I had to act on it. So if I had a thought of masturbating, I had to masturbate. Was that simple? 
you know, and this is a, a process we'll see by utilizing. And by the way, I had a sponsor tell me, not tell me, he said, Harvey, you can't use the term working the steps. This works gives an implication or by, you know, work. You're going to work. That's hard work. He said, no, we utilize the steps. We utilize the steps. Now, the question is, how are you going to utilize what's written in this book? So they... The way our brains have been taught is Harvey will give me the magic answer to fix me. Well, how can Harvey fix me when he couldn't fix himself? Okay. Now, as we go on in the steps, we're going to deal with mystery. When you deal with spirituality, it has a mystical quality to it. But not the first step. How dare we say that? Because it said the first step is the only step. The first part of the first step. Only step we must work absolutely. You cannot be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You can't be a little powerless. Roy uses a term about thinking we could control and enjoy lust. You're either allergic to penicillin or peanuts or you're not allergic. If you're allergic to peanuts, you better make sure the food not only doesn't have peanuts, it's not fried in peanut oil. You have to examine all your ingredients. If you're truly allergic. So I cannot just watch a movie. I am powerless over nudity. It makes me uncomfortable. My first, it it used to just be stimulating. But over the years, you realize it's been traumatic for you. So I need to check the contents of any movie I watch before I watch it. Because I'm allergic to lust. I'm not allergic to sex. Nowhere are you going to find where it says we're allergic to sex. Or else Roy would not have permitted in his sobriety definition the term sex outside of marriage. He would have just said no sex. So we can't be allergic to sex. And, you know, I said something very uncomfortable at the, um, I was a Saturday night speaker a couple of years ago in San Antonio. 
to the international conference. And I got up and I said, it's about time we break myths. There must have been, what, 300 people or more? Who knows there? I said, the majority of you are having sex. You're married. And you're saying you're sober. So we can't necessarily be allergic to sex. Now, maybe some people are. Okay, I don't want to make total generalities. No, it's not the sex. It was, for me, the frequency of the sex, the lust of the sex, the fantasy of the sex. Not be, My wife not being there, but other women or guys in my head. It was the lust with the sex. Or what was walking up to the sex and marriage. Because sex and marriage does not leave you free of saying, oh, I could lust. Because if you do, (laughs) it's going to creep back in again. And by the way, it's one of the no-nos. People, and thank goodness in Nashville, it wasn't that way. We would have breakout meetings about sex and marriage. So we could talk about it, talk about how to keep lust out of our marriage bed. Okay, but this is an allergy or it's not an allergy. If it's not an allergy, why worry about SA? Go back to your church, your synagogue, your mosque, mosque, your temple. Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Christian, Muslim. We all have the same symptoms. And we discovered, or we would be here, our particular religions would not take it away. Just like it would take diabetes away. Now, this is not a popular concept. But it's the concept. It's based, it's called the disease model concept. And next week I will give you a reference, hopefully, where to a um, something where you could actually see the brain change. They explain what happens in the brain. Okay, next question. Okay, questions are starting to pile up. Uh, the next question is, um, Do uh, when did you experience a, a spiritual experience? How did that happen? You, I don't think I ever know when they're happening. I realize afterwards they're happening. <laughs> uh, sometimes they happen and they're too frightening for me, and I tend to abort them. It's still, uh, I'm up to an hour a day of meditation, so it's easier during my meditation. It's taken me years to build up. But sometimes uh, I don't have a body. I don't talk about this hardly at all, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Step 12. And as we build up. But yes, my spiritual awakening became 
the day I was sober in AA for seven months and I jogged down to a porno. And I wasn't into kissing men on the lips. And this crusty young guy kissed me on the lips. And I got so repulsed. I'd have sex with men, but not kiss men. I got so repulsed. And I left it, the porno. And I said, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. And at that moment, I said, I cannot fight this one more minute. I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm going to leave my religion. I'm going to leave my children and my profession. And this is all I'm going to do because I cannot fight it one more minute. And I had this peace about me. I can't explain it. And I jogged back the two and a half miles to the AA parking lot clubhouse. And I bumped into the man who six weeks before tried starting SA in Nashville. And I jogged, I ran right into him. And out of my mouth, Came the, came, the, came the words, I'm ready. Out of nowhere, the words came, I'm ready. And I've been sober every day since then. Not always mentally sober. <laughs> so the awakening begins when you come into SA, you awaken. I can't do this alone. It's an awakening. Now we keep building on awakenings. There's a wonderful story in a very old book from thousands of years ago where this man was 76 years old approximately. And he climbed this mountain and he fell asleep with a stone pillow under his neck, under his head. And he woke up. But during his dream, he saw angels going up and down. He had this dream going into heaven and all this. And then he wakes up and he says, wow, God, you've been here all this time and I never saw you. <laughs> well, naturally he had been seeing and experienced, but he had a deeper spiritual awakening. They never stop. We're in a slumber and then we awake. But it's from different levels of awakening. Now, Bill had a very special awakening. The wind blew and this and that, but he had to change it. The words even to awakening. 
rather than experience or no most of us don't have that how do i know my awakenings through the rear view mirror you look back and you see it very hard to know it as you're having it so what kind of awakening did i have what was it four or five months ago malcolm had been bugging me for months and months. Bugging isn't a good word, but it had been pushing me. <laughs> pushing me. Harvey, you got to do something. You got to do something. You know, talk and do. And, and man, did I give him a rough time. I don't do well people telling me what to do. I went into resistance. I wasn't at all interested. And then one time he said it again. And I said, okay. And then within a millisecond, I said, oh, I'll read the articles I wrote and talk about them. That was an awakening. I saw what Malcolm was trying to tell me. I couldn't see it. And through that awakening, I said, I had it. I had it. I did the 12 weeks or whatever we did. Malcolm then did four weeks. And then about two weeks ago, I was just meditating. I said, I'm going to do the steps. But through a different way, it all came. I had an awakening. We expect this clouds open. God starts talking to us. (laughs) Well, I hope that it happens to you that way. It hasn't happened to me that way. (laughs) Next question. Go ahead, Josh. You mean me? Yep. Awesome. Hi, Harvey. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, my question is... Um, what if you have a sort of a scientific um, basis for believing that um, it's yeah, it's not a um, a physical disease, or that the it is, but the root of that physical disease is psychological, like some childhood, and and you think there might be another vehicle that you can use. Um, you know, to, to recover by addressing that trauma early on. I, I noticed myself entertaining this thought and um, it, it stops me from giving 100% to um, the actions of recovery in this uh, essay program. Josh, don't take it personally since I don't know you. But by the way, I love New Zealand. I spoke there for about a week, almost a week in Auckland. The group was... Great. Um, Love to have you back. I wasn't there. Your brain, your brain is telling you, oh, well, maybe there are other things. It's not your brain. Your addiction is fighting surrender. Now, by the way, I did need therapy. 
I did need EMDR, but I first had to get sober. <laughs> so if you have an allergy, you first have to, and you're allergic to penicillin, you need to stop using penicillin. Now, if you can't stop using it and you keep breaking out and getting ill, then sometimes you need more than just saying it. Some sexaholics cannot do it first through meetings. The disease is just, the craving is just too much. They need to be in a treatment center. Some people in the program have needed medication. Some people have needed hormonal treatment. Never cookie cut that this program. Don't think one cookie cutter, one stamp fits all. The steps will help everyone. But first, you have to be cleaned out. Some people could do it just from meetings. Now, with Zoom, it's even better because you can be on meetings all day long. But, but look in the big book, the answers in the big book. Their first hundred people, approximately, probably wasn't a hundred, more like 60, but their first hundred. Most of them, Dr. Bob treated for five days in the hospital for withdrawal until you can accept the addiction model and the concept of withdrawal. Some people will call me, I'll hear from all over the world, and they'll say, Harvey, every month I relapse. Every month I'm going to meetings, I'm doing things. I said, yeah. That's your withdrawal period. It gets so intense. What is withdrawal? Hopefully next week we'll talk a little about it. Withdrawal is physiological, and the brain is giving you the hypothalamus, the limbic system, that the, the disease lives in the survivor part of the brain. It's giving the message, you're dying. It's subliminal. You're dying. You're drowning. You will pull anyone down with you who aren't trained to lifeguard. When we think we're dying and we can't get air, we will do anything. So some people cannot get through the withdrawal period. But if you don't believe it's a drug addiction, how can you even think of the withdrawal? If you just think, I'm inadequate, I'm bad, God's punishing me, this and that, I just have to try harder. No, man. Then you, you don't believe in the disease drug model. This is a drug addiction. My addiction took the form of abusing my wife in frequency. It took the form of chronic masturbation all the time. It took the form of promiscuity with men 
and women. But you know what? By the time I came into the program, I had no idea I had a two-hour withdrawal period. I had to have an orgasm every few hours. Now, how did I, only years later, figure it out? Frequent sex with my wife was marijuana. For whatever reason, as heterosexual as I am, when I discovered gay sex, that was my heroin. I don't understand it. I'm not straight. I'm not gay. I am a drug addict. And heroin or cocaine gave me a special thing. Now, as we go on, it will get all involved with what did happen to me in childhood. But I was already susceptible to it. Okay? Cool, appreciate that. Thank you. And hopefully we're going to talk about this in a little more, you know, straightforward with um, Roy's chapter. And that's a book. Okay, go ahead, Kahal. Kahal? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Harvey. Good to see you. Good to hear you as well. And um, well done for taking on the old 12-step program and giving it back to us. Um, Yeah, I was just thinking about something you said today. You know, I remember you said once, you know, you say if you go into the shower and and suddenly you feel the lust coming at you in there, you say to yourself, um, I don't care. I'm getting out of the shower if it gets too bad. I don't care if I've got shampoo all over me or whatever. I couldn't care less. And I find that really helpful. It's just like that I need to give my brain the message of sobriety every day, you know, that um, number one, that like there's no acting out's not on the menu today, no matter what happens, whether life goes well, life goes badly, whether someone speaks to me, doesn't speak to me, whatever, it's just not an option. And that I have to live with whatever pain comes up inside me and I can't jump on some lust trip to to take away the pain, which is what I used to do. But um, so I think I've just, you know, um even with, with like you know i've got family members in the house who walk around and all sorts of clothes on and have clothes on and i, and I give myself the message look i'm not looking at i'm not looking anywhere today brain we're, there's nothing there's nothing there we're not looking there today that's it like you know um i just find that really helpful as part of my first step that um that i've got to help like help myself to program my brain with the first step because when I relapsed, I just wouldn't cooperate with the first step. I'd jump off it and, and, and to go back to what I was doing before. But, like, that was such a failure every single time. But it's just, like, if I'm willing to cooperate with the first step, I can hopefully get on to step two and, you know, check out where I am in the turning point. Am I going towards lust or am I going towards sobriety? And I just find having that kind of process going on inside me throughout the day helps me with good boundaries, you know, and... um to keep my head in a, in a better place. Um, you know, so just want to thanks for that. Great to hear you. Thanks, Carl. Carl is one of our long-term sober members, so good guy to hear. Um, 
Colin brings up a uh, tool um, for me. That tool is my disease has stopped talking to me a whole lot because I would talk to it. So I'd be in a shower, which was the place I usually uh, easily masturbate in it. And so showers became a tremendous trigger for me in recovery. Now, my body didn't know I was in recovery. I knew I was in. My body reacted to the trigger of the shower. And without being explicit, I'm not going to talk about how my body reacted to it, but it reacted to it. Nothing I could do could make it not react. You can't make it stop. So what did I do knowing I could not stop it? I talked to it. Hey, disease, you're here, but I don't give a crap. I'm not going to masturbate. So if you don't leave me alone this second, I am hopping out of the shower even though I'm all soaked up. And that's what I had to do. And it learned to listen to me. I learned to give my disease the middle finger. It's that simple. Screw you, disease. I'm not reacting to you today. Now, I can't say it. It won't work just saying it. I had to take an action, which was to get out. This is a physiological brain issue. Okay? Carl, thank you. I think bringing up tools is so cool. But we'll get to more of those also later on. But the more we could bring in now, the better off we are. (laughs) By the way, I'm 81. And my awakening a few weeks ago was Harvey, you're 81. Average life expectancy of a man in the USA last year, 2020, was 76. I'm already five years over it. <laughs> Harvey, give as much away as you can. Because, as I always say in the program, we have it backwards. We think we're infinite and will never die, and that God is finite, that we understand him, we know what he wants. (laughs) We understand everything about God. No! We're finite, and God is infinite and beyond. We can't figure God out. It's infinite. 
And yes, I'm going to die. <laughs> and my choice in dying, I've been taught about in the program. I've had sponsors with beautiful programs who could not handle dying. And I had sponsors who dealt beautifully with dying. And my sponsor would always say, you'll always learn from your sponsor. You will learn what he has you want and what he has you don't want. So I had a sponsor with 57 years of sobriety in AA, and I just loved him. He lived thousands of miles away from me, and I called him up. He was very close to death. He was about 87, and I called him, and I said, I'm coming up. I want to be with you, and in the next few days, I'll be there, and he starts to laugh. He said, Harvey, don't waste your money. I'm going to be gone in a few days, and he was so relaxed and laughed, and we laughed together. Man, that's recovery for me and what I get from not being alone and learning from all of you. Okay. Um, We are going to end, and then the style is we'll end this meeting so people who want to leave could leave, and then... We're going to keep it open for another 30 minutes for questions and answers. So that uh, sex addicts, we've had very poor boundaries in our life. (laughs) Their body was our body, their this, their that, poor boundaries. So I'd like to at least keep the boundary of our talk, even though it's five minutes over. And we will stay on for anyone who would like to ask some more questions. So let's do some deep breathing. With deep exhales, too. And the serenity prayer, God, grant me the serenity to serenity. accept the things that I've changed, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Amen. Thank you, Harry. My goodness, we've had like tons of chats. Like six chats. And a lot of questions on other steps that we've been diverting slightly. We'll get to that question on that step and this question on that step. Um, Jomo has a question with his hand up. So let's, uh, Jomo, you want to ask the question? Go ahead. Sure. Hi, how you you doing, Harvey? Um, I'm Jomo. I'm powerless over us. Um, So my question is is there a is there a difference between, uh, let's say, like mentally or intellectually taking, um, uh, uh, understanding powerlessness and giving myself to God 
and and having actually like conceding and like my innermost self, like within my heart, I really have given myself to God. Is there a difference between that to like mentally and like heartfelt? Well, this is so great. See, you're falling into the old programming. You're bringing God into the first step. God's not mentioned in the first step. Or the second. I know, I'm trying to jump ahead. Okay, so how do you do that? You don't say it's wrong because it's part of our programming. We just say, oh, there it is again. Thinking God who creates and is in everything and has made in our life the realization that people don't live forever. So what happens? People get diseases. If you're like me, you have a disease. So first, you recognize you have a disease. Then you start awakening to see how God loved you so much that no matter what you did, he loved you so much, he brought you to treatment and medication for your disease. But don't expect him to do this for you. I wish you well. He loves diabetics by bringing them to good doctors. But if the patient won't take their insulin, don't expect God to come down and put this shot in your arm. Now, you could think that way, and it's okay. But in an AA, they say it beautifully. God is so great. He is so omnipotent, so wonderment, so powerful, that if a recovering alcoholic takes an open bottle of booze to drink it, God is so powerful, he could knock it out of his hands. But statistically, he doesn't do that. Okay. So I wouldn't hold your breath to expect that without accepting some of the disease model and going through detox and withdrawal and having the medication through other people, Jess would say, my old SA sponsor, Jess would say he needed God with skin, meaning all of us help each other. When we surrender, we reach out to other people who have had this. My AA sponsor would say he gets this information from his sponsor, and his sponsor got it from his sponsor and his sponsor got it from his sponsor and his sponsor got it built from Bill W and Bill W got it from God. Okay. 
So as I keep showing this, this was my sponsor, Cherry. And he's standing behind the founder of Al-Anon, Lois. And there's Bill W. And my wife's Al-Anon sponsor was standing behind Bill W. These are real people. Real people. Joma, are you powerless or aren't you powerless? I'm I'm very much powerless. I have no power at all to to stop okay. lusting. Okay. I'm far beyond I'm far beyond powerless. <laughs> Good place to begin. Good place. So therefore, if you're powerless, what are you going to do? Where what city do you live in? In I'm in I'm in Maryland. Okay. So it's still early in the evening or after late afternoon. How many meetings can you go to today, this evening? Up to probably at least five if I go to one every hour. Right. It's that simple. I needed three AA meetings a day. When I first came into AA 37 years ago, that's what I needed. You're going to need to find out what dose of medication you need. Someone in AA would say to me, when you see me and I see you at an AA meeting, we know at at least that hour we haven't had anything to drink. So just hit your meetings. Okay. Next, next question. Go ahead, Rich. Rich A. Hi, Harvey. It's Richard in Toronto. Uh, grateful to be here and thank you. Um, I've been in the program on and off for about 20 years now with very little sobriety. I've gone to the different um, S programs. Um, I'm also an alcoholic and an addict. A drug addict. Um, and um, when you say medication, do you mean by that meetings and steps and fellowship? Someone who has a history of 20 years in and out might need more than meetings. Yeah, I've just started with a trauma therapist and I'm hoping that might help. Um, uh, some people need to be taken away where there's no way. It depends how you act it out, what it is, but some people need treatment centers. Some people, yeah. to be, in my opinion, just my opinion, need to be chemically castrated for a while. My acting out is very similar to yours. Yeah, but some people just need hormonal therapy. To stop the craving. The craving is just too great. And so you take, you know, and there have been quite a few people over the years who have done it. And they, for years and years, they'll fight it. And finally, they'll do it. And I'll ask them, what's the difference from before? 
that they'd say before I had the thought and I immediately had to act out. Now I have the thought, same thought, but I get a moment in time in, spe- in time where I have enough time to utilize the program. Thank you. It depends. I've watched people who need antidepressants. You know, you you can't cut cookie cut this, but you know one thing. If you have diabetes, what do they do? They tell you to lose some weight usually. If you lose the weight and the sugar is still high, they tell you to take a certain pill. You take the pill, it's still high. So then they say you need insulin. You start taking insulin, it's not helping the sugar go down. Then you need an insulin pump that they attach. So diseases have different levels and different responses. I don't know what you've done in the past, but whatever you've done, statistically just doing it again might not be the answer. You might need a higher level of treatment. Thank you. We've had a couple of people asking about um, giving over the first step in in meetings. I I remember you spoke about it a few weeks ago. I can't remember which meeting it was that you talked about it. Do you want to just remind us of your opinion and feelings about giving over the first step? I remember that Jess... L actually talks about it in his talks about what a spiritual meeting that was, but they did it at a time when they didn't have, uh, they barely had any meetings. So they all had to do the steps together as a group. And that kind of custom stuck with SA up until then. Um, and I know I have my own opinions about it, but you want to just talk about that first step meeting that, that happens still to this day. And is, uh, the real question is, is it a requirement, which you can answer. Number one, there is no set way of doing your first step. My sponsees, I have do the steps very different. The um, first step, I keep it real simple. I have them on one side of a sheet of paper. Prove to me that they're really a sex addict, that they're powerless about 20 things to prove to me they're really a sex addict. And then I ask them to write on a side of a page how they know they're unmanageable. How do I, how did I know when I did it this way? By the time I was 44, I had masturbated almost 8,000 times. By the time I was 44, I had it into courts, probably close to 8,000 times. By the time I was 44, I had about 500 sex partners. Once I saw it down, once I saw the hundreds of thousands of dollars it cost me directly and indirectly, I could say, wow, normal people don't do this. I'm powerless, and my life's unmanageable. Real simple. 
other people, man, the sponsors have them write autobiographies. Well, I'll tell you, I had some sexual experiences with a cousin of mine. Every time when I was a teenager, I start writing it. It got too stimulating for me. I'd have to stop writing it, then I'd start again. No, it wasn't good for me. Well, what happens in the program? People will give their first step when they're not even sober a week or two. What are they doing? They're just bringing up all kinds of stuff. Now, where did all that come from? Some of this is just tradition that developed. Is it in the essay book? How does essay book talk about? <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Some groups, we, for years, we did a um, third step in a group with people got on their knees. We did it together. There are different traditions. So I'm going to tell you this story. One of my meeting places for SA in Nashville, um, they wanted it. I suggested they change the preamble. It was kind of outdated. The, what you read to begin for our particular meeting. They got so angry at me for suggesting it like God had given it from Mount Sinai. Some of you have heard this story. How can we change? It's written there. I said, who the hell wrote it to begin with? Me and a couple other people. God didn't write those words <laughs> from Mount Sinai. <laughs> we get all these false messages and I'm real grateful you brought that up because I'm going to make a notation otherwise I'll just bullcrap about it and make up stories but I'm going to see exactly what it says in the essay book Mm -hmm. hopefully by next week <laughs> wow look what it just did without realizing it I said I want to go to the source the more you all could do this the cooler it gets when we don't think we have all the answers. Now, I don't go to first step meetings. A lot of first step meetings are pure pornography. Because the people are drunk usually. A lot of them don't come back. They have a week or so. Now, anyone could call me at any time 
and tell me the most explicit thing ever. They have some recovery. They've been hiding it. I have no problem. But when people are drunk, I don't have to hear their first step. That's just my personal preference. Everyone has different ways of dealing with it. In the beginning, just like Daniel said, I heard a lot of first steps because (laughs) there were only a few of us. And that's another thing we don't talk about. 1984, there were so few of us, so we were sponsoring people. We had a month's sobriety. (laughs) We were sponsoring people. Where did these things come from? You need a year. You need five years. You need this. You need that. (laughs) If I can't get a hold of my sponsor... I share it and I ask the question to, if a sponsee calls me, I'll ask the sponsee. Whatever they tell me to do, I'll do. Because why are we doing this? Step one helps us to understand. We surrender. We surrender. The process of surrendering where the healing comes from. Okay, what what else? Um, so I think we have time for one last question. Um, it's kind of related. Um, well, yeah, it's very related. I, uh, I came into the Wait, program. I still want to go back to that other one. Okay. If you're not following what the steps say, we are powerless and our life's unmanageable and you're actually listing it, how do you ever convince yourself you're really an addict? The other people could come and go in the meeting, but you need to be convinced. When I saw the numbers of times I did things, I got convinced. And I'm not a normal man. Most normal men outgrow masturbation. They get married, they outgrow it. Not me. I needed to see it clearly. Now, what do I do with that? And it's very difficult. It it really upsets me a lot of times. I will ask people what they're powerless over, and there's such hesitation. Such hesitation. I could tell you immediately my unmanageability. I did it a few minutes ago when I gave you those numbers. It's as if I came in yesterday. I need to be able to tell me, not tell you, tell me. Harvey, you are a sick man. Remember what you did. What it cost you, how you couldn't send your two sons, two of your four sons to college because you were buying leather pants for your (laughs) sex partner or putting money in his apartment. 
I need to it instantly. Here, I'm telling you my story. It happened almost 40 years ago. It's as fresh today. So if I don't keep my powerless list and unmanageability constantly in my head, I'm going to think I'm cured. Most dangerous thing in recovery, thinking you could ever get cured. So I need to remind myself where lust takes me to. And Judson had a wonderful word for this. He called it uh, fire drills. You prepare for a fire in a big building by fire drills. Well, we do the same thing for my disease. My disease is going to tell me, Harvey, you're 30, over 36 years sober now. You know, your disease, you don't want to let, you're not lusting. It's gone. No. I have to then review my powerlessness and unmanageability. Yes, it's never gone. I'll take it to my grave. It is in remission. It's just not active. But it's like saying once you're allergic to penicillin and you haven't broken out in years, you could take penicillin again. Same principle. Last question. <clears throat> okay, go ahead, Gene. We can't not we can't not let Gene put his hand up and then not get not 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 have a word. Gene's the hero. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Harvey. A war hero, anyways, at least. (laughs) Harvey, uh, I I I deal with some sponsees are stuck in the shame model. Uh, You know, like you refer to that and. uh, they they just can't get it the, the medical model no matter how much i say it or or it, it, they might have it in their head but they're operating just totally out of a shame model what what can we do sandy beach I just said it beautifully may he rest in peace he said this program is not about learning new things it's about unlearning old things Until the person's ready, and we'll be discussing this hopefully, where it says we had to let go of our old ideas. You cannot make people let go of their religious model. You can't make people let go of old ideas. They have to be willing to do it. And it's not easy. And all I could do is give them my experience, strength, and hope. Yes, along with that concept, they will not only have shame, but they will have a God sitting on this big throne up in the sky with lightning bolts that are going to be tossed at them for what they've done or will do or have thought. They are still going to be connected to the Greek mythology that we now call 
Christian or Jewish or whatever, but it's an image that's been programmed in. That's programmed in. He's going to get me. I better shape up. Well, it might be true, but if it's true, what the hell happened to me with the shit, with the crap I've done? And I'm still here at 81? Now, it could happen this second, and you guys are and gals in danger. This lightning might come through the screen. I get you too. No, I had to let go of the old idea and get this idea of how much God loves me. That he watched me do every one of those things I did and loved me so much he brought me to S.A. What more does my God have to prove to me? And by the way, I'll have a heart attack, I'll get cancer or something. Man, that's what people get. I've had all kinds of... (laughs) I went blind in one eye in uh, 201, suddenly never dreamt I'd go blind. Came back to the meeting, blind in one eye. And see, people said, see, it finally caught up to you. God got you. You know, we're always told you're going to go blind from masturbating. (laughs) You know, or get warts on your hand from, you know, all these things that have been programmed in. From where? And eventually, when we get to the 11th step, we're going to work on this, on this programming that's not right or wrong. It's not for us to judge if it's right or wrong. It's for us through meditation to observe there's messages put in since we were about two years old, when words and thoughts came in, okay? And we then observe that this is a message, and then we say, does it apply to me? Can uh, uh, Do I like this message? A message of, let's say, oh, it's good to give charity. What a lovely message. I My mother or father taught me, I like that message, I'll keep it. But there are messages that I got. Harvey, if you don't eat your food, God will punish you. Harvey, there are starving children in in, in Europe. If If you're disrespectful to me, God will punish you. Now, that was the God of my mother's understanding to use control over me, to get me to eat, to get me to do things. No, I've decided I don't want that message anymore. But we're not ready for that till the 11th step, 
when we learn more about observing our thoughts rather than participating in our thoughts. Now, I'm going to tell you a very interesting thing. Once you go through that, you then get to see it was in your religion already. You just couldn't see it. The positive message. It was already there. You couldn't see it. You couldn't hear it. You couldn't see it. We pick and choose and growing up a lot of times also what we screen out and what we don't. And as you get your spiritual awakenings, this it doesn't say in that right before the steps, we let go of our old religion. It says we let go of our old ideas. My sponsor would say, Harvey, as you get less frightened and more comfortable with your own religion, you'll get less frightened of other people's religion. That's exactly what's happened in my life. So I read things from all religions now as I'm more comfortable with my religion. Did I just bullcrap or did I answer the question? Thank you, Harvey. Okay. Guys and gals, thanks for coming and hanging in there this long. And uh, until next week, one day at a time. Thank you so much, Harvey. Thanks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.